Welcome to LilyPod episode 109, Living with Intention. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another inspirational episode on LilyPod a production of Love in Later Years. We are advanced certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed towards single adults and later married couples blending families. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of LilyPod. And we have an exciting topic that we think is really central to a lot of the things that we talk about in our organization. Kathy. Well, this is going to be patterned after what we presented at the BYU Life After Divorce Conference on November 5th, 2022. Uh, The title of our presentation there was The Power of Living with Intention, cultivating hope after loss. And just like the title is shortened, uh, the presentation will be also, but it will give you a good flavor of what we talked about there uh, in case you missed it. Right. Intention is important for everyone, but it's especially important for the uh, people going through a divorce or people who have recently been through a divorce. And we'll talk about why, but I want to pose the question first, why is divorce so painful? Now, when I was going through my divorce, uh, I had this sort of kicked in the gut feeling that I woke up to every morning and I carried it around all day long and I took it to bed every night and it was relentless. And I mean, it was an actual physical pain. And for me, it was severe chest pain. So intense. I didn't know how people could live through that kind of physical and mental and emotional pain. Like it's just, it was like this conglomeration, even a spiritual pain too. Right. The pain is so intense. You wonder if you're even going to survive. And, you know, that puzzled me for a long time. I didn't realize that the pain of my divorce would be an actual physical kind of pain. Uh, Everybody is real as getting punched in the stomach or something. Why is it that painful? Why does that happen? Well, I came across some research a few years ago where they had looked at functional MRIs uh, from the general population as well as for people who had recently been through an unwanted divorce. And you know what they found? They found that the people who had recently been through an unwanted divorce, their brains light up on these uh, functional MRIs in the exact same places as people who are experiencing physical pain. And the key word here is rejection. Any time we experience some form of rejection, we are subject to a potential physical pain. Right. And, and mind you, this is originating inside yourself for sure. You can believe you're being rejected even if you're not and still undergo significant trauma and and have that kick in the gut feeling. 
But for our purposes, that's the only emotion that does that. Depression doesn't do it. Sadness doesn't do it. You know, anxiety doesn't do it. You go down the list of, of other unpleasant uh, mental illnesses or emotions, none of them come with an actual physical pain. They don't light your brain up in the same places as uh, when you're undergoing physical According pain. to this study. Right. Interesting. I mean, I think I've experienced depression, I've experienced anxiety, and I remember it feeling physically painful. But I suppose that maybe they were more of a side effect rather than a direct correlation, at least according to the brain scans. Anyway, yeah, Interesting. The, the, the important thing to remember is if you're feeling the ache inside, it's totally normal uh, in a divorce kind of situation. Yeah, we're not just talking about this to depress you thoroughly. <laughs> well, the other we're, thing is... We're hoping you'll feel empathy and understanding and we're, of course, going to lead into the hope part soon. Right. The other, the other element I just want to throw out there is that your brain is like 2 million years old, and it is wired for survival more than for happiness. And so if you think about it, when you're a, a newborn baby, you live because somebody loves you. You survive because somebody loves you. When, uh, you know, in... in primitive times, if your tribe kicked you out and you were out in the world to, to fend for yourself, what was going to happen? You were very vulnerable to injury or death. And so uh, being a social animal, which we are, has a survival function. And so if you believe you're being rejected by the person you most trusted to help keep you alive, to help you to survive, that's very painful. And the reason that comes with a physical pain is to encourage you, you know, just like the reason for pain, like, you know, there are people who don't feel pain who think nothing of burning their hand on the stove. Uh, but, but almost all of the rest of us, if we burn our hand on the stove, we, that's painful and we immediately withdraw. It's to teach us what is dangerous and what isn't. And that physical pain is there to teach us that it's dangerous to be rejected. Mm -hmm. And in primitive times, that was certainly true. Well, and then, you know, that could be very traumatic as well as can be any kind of micro traumas that are added up over time. Um, so a, a, a feeling of rejection can come through a whole bunch of little rejections. Right. The, the example I always give of this, Kathy, <clears throat> is if I walk into the kitchen and I try to give my wife a kiss and she turns her head and acts grossed out, you know, sort of grimaces. Okay, that that's a small thing. And if it only happens once, I can tell myself, well, <clears throat> maybe she's just protecting her makeup or something like that. But if it happens virtually every time for years those little micro traumas, those little abuses add up to something very serious. Well, and we, of course, we always can say something in our minds, like maybe she just doesn't like kissing. Maybe it's not me. You know, you could say that. You but could try. <clears throat> I think in general, it's 
it's something I think most of us would feel something about. Right. And by the way, that is not reflective of how my current marriage is because um, Kathy likes being kissed in the kitchen. But, but I do sometimes have lipstick moments. There, there are those moments, but there's enough of the other that I, you know, that I don't think of it as a personal insult. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really important to understand this, that those little micro traumas can add up to a lot of trauma, to a lot of fear, to a lot of anxiety, and even pain. And a lot of people associate trauma just with the big events like a car accident or having one of your military buddies shot right next to you or something like that. But these little traumas can be just as significant uh, added up over time. And the little traumas and the big traumas all are affected by our thinking about them always. Right. So they're they're like these traumas are like, Uh, a computer virus that's always running in the background and you may not even understand that it's hurting you until um, until you really need that computer to work in a certain way so to speak Uh, but these these traumas do sabotage our happiness and they encourage us to sabotage our own happiness and even new relationships right because we might be so uh, hurt by a particular trauma uh, that we interpret it as being much more dangerous than it really is when something happens. Uh, We may be accusatory and defensive with someone, which, you know, is a roadblock to getting into a healthy relationship. But I guarantee you almost everybody, if not everybody who has ever been divorced, feels this. We asked the people in our group that we were teaching at the BYU Life After Divorce Conference, how many of you have ever felt that kick in the gut feeling, that ache uh, in the chest or the gut or somewhere around there? And, you know, virtually every hand in the room went up. Yeah, I remember that. So how does unresolved trauma impact future relationships? I know we've seen it a lot in our coaching practice. We have a, uh, you know, a coaching practice where we help people recover from loss. We help people enter, re-enter the dating world and navigate relationships. And it seems like once they get engaged and they get married, they're like, I've arrived. I've figured it out. I've made it. <laughs> and of course, there there is a lot to be proud of because that's a huge process, Right. But inevitably, almost every couple who is remarrying from a previous divorce or another, you know, relationship losses has some traumas that even if they've worked really hard to overcome their their stuff on their own, it starts kind of coming up again in the relationship because now you're living with someone, you're bumping into each other, you've got some emotional sunburns that are getting aggravated uh, in in no in a way that you couldn't before right and there are thousands of examples we could give on the way this happens but i'm going to just give you one to kind of illustrate how relationship dynamics play let's suppose you've got one partner uh newly married who was in an argue 
excuse me, who was in a uh, relationship before with someone who was very argumentative and negative and insulting and maybe yelled and screamed a lot and is very sensitive to any aggression or hostility. And then the other, the other partner couldn't get their spouse to talk about the things that bothered them. And so they were always having to try to push to get to be listened to. If, if you have those opposite sensitivities working on the two people in the relationship, they may blow every little uh, problem out of proportion because they don't have a functional way to deal with it. And, you know, that's just one example of thousands that could be used, but and we had some opposite sensitivities ourselves. Absolutely, so we did. We know all about that. And we're big fans of premarital coachings. And Jeff has a great program for that. So if you're in a relationship, if you're engaged, if you're thinking about getting engaged, or even if you are newlyweds and this stuff is coming up, you know, it can be postmarital therapy. It's kind of the same thing. It's being intentional about how you're going to approach your marriage and figure out how to be responsible for your own emotional well-being and come together in healthy ways. Right. One more thing I want to say on this, Kathy, about how unresolved trauma impacts us mm -hmm. is when we're in fight or flight, the Gottmans like to call that being flooded. And, and I think flooded is a good metaphor. You're you're kind of overwhelmed by the emotions you're feeling. And so you just scream and yell all night and never get anything resolved. Right. If you're both <laughs> or, or even just one of you is in fight or flight, that person is doing nothing but self-preservation. And so, and that's not what we advise you do, but that's what we do if we're just living on our emotions and just giving into them. Right. And so what we're going to suggest is that you simply tough it out and push past those angry emotions. No, I'm kidding. I was going to say, where are you going with that? No. I, I'm completely joking. That is the worst thing you can try to do is, okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to calm down and I'm going to say what I want to say as tactfully as possible and yet as insulting as possible. And Oh, stop. <laughs> the point Actually, is, what you need often, if you're emotionally flooded, isn't a timeout. Right. To get calm. And usually you need at least 20 minutes if you're to the boiling point. Right. If you're flooded or if both of you are flooded, you need at least 20 minutes, usually not more than a few hours, but it depends. If it happens at 11 o'clock at night, you might need to just go to bed and deal with it the next morning. But anyway, there's a lot more we could say about timeouts. But for now, we just want to suggest that that, that is um, something to watch for. Are you flooded? Are you emotionally um, disrupted? And if you are, that isn't a good time to deal with relationship issues. But a lot of people try to, to do it and even think that their trauma is telling them something is dangerous about the other person. It is, but it may, the thing it's telling you may very well be false. And when that is happening and you go into it anyway, that's when those all night fights start and no resolution happens. So you're doing nothing but damage and you have a 0% chance of resolving the situation when your heart rate's over hundred beats per minute. That's the study. Right. So what do we do instead? And this goes back to the title of the episode. We get intentional. 
we get very intentional about, first of all, being responsible for our own emotions. Right. And then if our emotions are not in a place where we can talk civilly and responsibly and as an adult, in fact, if we feel like a child, then we've, we're in that mode of, you know, not being able to have an adult conversation. Right. So we go and take care of our inner child. We take care of that wounded part of us first. And then when we're feeling like an adult again, we're ready for an adult solution oriented conversation. Right. And you, you might be asking yourself at this point, well, yeah, but you're telling me to, to make a very mature decision to shut down the conversation temporarily while I'm flooded. But when I'm flooded, I can't think that way. Oh yeah. No, and that's a, totally get, we get dumb, huh? Yeah. And, and that is a good point. So here's the thing you have to do. You have to decide in advance what you're going to do in a situation when you're flooded so that you don't have to do your thinking when you're flooded because no one thinks very good at those times. So we tell our kids all the time. I mean, I think all, almost all of us do. If you're offered drugs, you need to know the answer before you're in that situation under the peer pressure and so forth. Um, if someone wants to have sex with you, you know, know in advance what the answer is going to be so that you don't have to try to make that decision under under all of that pressure. Well, well let me bring up one other situation that I think a lot of us are in with it being towards the beginning of a new year still. Hopefully we're still working on those resolutions and um, being consistent with our commitments. Um, but we're, I think a lot of us are trying to eat more healthy and when we try to eat more healthy and that's our intention, one of the most important things is being prepared with pre-prepped meals, because right. when you're really hungry, you'll eat anything. Right. Just like when you're upset, you'll say anything. All right. I'll get through this today with these, you know, chips and soda pop. Uh, but tomorrow I'm going to get some healthier food. You know, if <laughs> that's the, that's the problem is you can make yourself an exception until the rule no longer matters anymore. Well, and intention, I actually heard this recently. So this is not something that was at during our presentation, but the intention is, has to include an element of awareness, right? Um, that, aware, being aware of what's happening in our bodies, being aware of what's happening in a, a conversation, being aware of our hunger signals, being aware of all that stuff is what's going to um, ultimately help us accomplish what we intend to do. Right. And that's what I was saying earlier too, about it, to pay attention to whether you are at peace or whether you're disrupted. And if you're disrupted, then do a little bit of self-care. That's not the time to go and try and resolve something with your partner or a dating partner or a spouse, whatever. Um, so that's really important. Handle your own trauma first, and then you'll be able to, to go and, and deal with your partner in a more mature way. And you know, the hopeful part, I think that we're getting into now, um, because I know the first part of this uh, the, this presentation was more about, you know, the problems, 
the, the real problems we're dealing with here. Um, but the hopeful part is that we have the power to be intentional and aware and accomplish our intent, intention with that awareness. And, um, and then the next thing we uh, go into is the peace that we can find through radical acceptance of our situation as it is. Right. And that, that may, we may still have some trauma in our bodies, but the idea is that we make the mental shift to, instead of it wasn't supposed to be this way, well, but it is this way. And this is now my path. And if we continue to think, oh, it wasn't meant to be this way, something has gone terribly wrong, well, that's a very painful thought, right? That's going to keep you stuck in emotional pain. And whereas if, if, you, uh, if you're willing to move on and say, okay, I accept, even if I wouldn't have chosen it, I accept that this was my path and that God has good things for me on the other side of this. And then, I mean, yeah, you may still be in pain, but it's not going to be magnified and multiplied by those kinds of thoughts. Right. And that's why radical acceptance brings peace is because we're no longer thinking things should be a different way or shouldn't be the way they are. Right. Now, another thing that can bring a lot of peace is thought work. And, and we um, touched on that a little bit just now. Well, and we, we talked about our FCBO model specifically at the conference briefly, but we talked about it extensively in the last three podcast episodes that we did uh, a series of. It was episodes 101, 102, and 103. So I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to those three yet, to go listen to them in order and dive deep into our FCBO thought model, um, because we give you all of the ins and outs of how to work through that, uh, that uh, flow. It's a flow of you know, separating out the facts from the stories that you tell about those facts. It's it's accepting reality as it is, but only as it really is, not the stories we're putting around it. Right. And because those stories are optional and we get to choose what we think about everything. Right. And then our energy and emotions, those are those two middle letters where, you know, just so, just to explain it really briefly, our stories deeply impact our energy and our emotion. The thoughts we we think about the facts of our lives uh, and most of the thoughts we have are stories. I mean, the you've, facts have to be very specific and um, most of our stories are not. <laughs> right. So anyway, they greatly impact our energy and our emotions and and then our emotions and our energies in, in turn affect our behaviors. Um, now, you know, we have these New Year's resolutions and we want to just change a behavior, but we don't go back and fix the thoughts and the stories and the energy and emotion that is impacted by them in order to create a behavior that's sustainable. And then ultimately that all brings out the outcomes of our lives. I mean, what we think what we've been thinking for the last 20 years is where we're at today. 
Right. And what we're thinking now and for the next year is going to be where we're at tomorrow. Right. Kathy, you know, we've also mentioned, I think, briefly in this episode that, well, eating well can have effects on your mental health and taking care of your body through exercise and things like that. We've also learned some things about posture and maybe you could talk about violin Uh, stance really quickly. Yes. Okay. So I believe there was a Ted talk on power posture is what they called it. And it's kind of like the jolly green giant kind of look where you put your feet right under your shoulders and um, Shoulders shoulders back, chest up, um, head up, those kinds of things create a better performance and it gives us more confidence and it really literally puts us squarely between heaven and earth. Um, our, our feet, I've been, I, I understand our feet to be like the floor of our root chakra, like the ground floor, like the basement. Right. And like we're standing on Mother Earth and then we've got heaven above our heads and we're just like squarely between them and getting that energy from both sources. So, friends, try this as an experiment while you're listening, um, unless you're driving and can't safely do so. But but try this as an experiment. First, slump your shoulders and look down at the floor and then raise up your head and put your shoulders back the way Kathy described and see if that changes the way you feel. Just notice the difference in how you feel in each of those two positions. One more thing uh, on that. In Alma 8, I I won't read it to you because we don't have time, Um, but I invite you to go and read it. It talks about how Alma was basically kicked out of the city of Ammonihah and people spit on him and did all kinds of mean things to him because they didn't accept his religion. He He was was feeling rejected. He was feeling rejected. And it says that, that as he was leaving the city, he was weighed down with much sorrow and things like that. There were very heavy words. And why was it? Quote, because of the wickedness of the people of Ammonihah. So he was worried about... uh, Well, and it was his thoughts about that wickedness and about their kicking him out that was bringing him down. And then he was told something different. He was offered a new thought. Right. A life coach, which in that case happened to be an angel. (laughs) An angel life coach. Met him on the road and said, um, and told Alma, lift up thy head. And he tells him basically, get your posture straight. Look up, you know. And then he said, He tells him to rejoice, and he said that Alma had great cause to rejoice. Why did he have great cause to rejoice? Because thou hast been faithful. That's what he said. So uh, first point on this, of course, is the posture thing. The angel gave him good advice on shifting his posture to shift his emotions. And the second thing was, instead of being weighed down by the feelings he had because of the rejection he had received, he he said, embrace the feeling that you have been faithful. You have done your best. And be proud, you know, be happy about that. Be 
be rejoicing about that. And so effectively, he's telling Alma, look, don't despair over the things you have no control over, the way other people receive you and so on. But if you made the best effort you could and you've been faithful, then be happy about that and focus on that and focus on doing better in that regard so that you can be happier still. Yeah, I really love that story. And I think it, it, I mean, it reminded us a lot about the serenity prayer. And so we kind of talked about that next um, because really what the angel was saying is you can't, you can't take responsibility for their decisions, right? That's out of your control. So yeah, you might've gotten kicked out, but you got, you have reason to rejoice because of where you're at and what you're doing and what you've chosen. Right. And so I think that's very much a, a separation of what can I control? What can I not control? And our power is in what we can control and our serenity is in accepting what we can't control. Right. And, and we want to point out that the covenant path that President Nelson is always talking about is the path of intentionality. A covenant is a decision uh, and a commitment to intentionally live and behave in a certain way. And, you know, we know that we all fall short. None of us lives with perfect intentionality, but making a covenant is a decision to to do so. And, and hopefully, if we take that seriously and we're committed to it, uh, then we're able to sustain the way we have intended and committed to live. Yeah, I love that. So this is my path. Radically accepting your new reality and making it beautiful is your path. Right. You know, a lot of people get hung up on when they get remarried. Oh, gosh, these aren't my kids, you know, when that when speaking of their stepkids. Oh, no, well, they're bonus kids. They are your kids. They, they are your <laughs> bonus true. kids for sure. But like my stepkids will ask us, well, you know, we're not sealed to you. Right. And I and and my response is. Not directly, but you're sealed to your mother, right? Well, who else is sealed to your mother? I am. So we're a family. And God works out, you know, taking care of those relationships on the other side if we've done the most we can. And so, you know, don't wallow in these thoughts like, these aren't my kids. What am I doing here with these kids? Well, or if you're single and you haven't remarried yet. Um, but you'd like to, but you're nervous and you're scared about the future, you know, accept where you're at right now and believe in that beautiful future that you're wanting to create. Right. And our blended family is a beautiful thing. I mean, my sons are older than Kathy's and one of my sons has unfortunately passed on, but my remaining son calls and talks to Kathy's kid about making movies or what movies he's seen and they talk together and you know what Kathy's kids love it when he calls and they want to talk to him they crave that moment with him even though he's old enough to be their uncle or something like that uh, you know that hasn't been an impediment in the relationship in some ways 
it has been an asset to the relationship. That's true. Yeah, they really like uh, picking Errol's brains about movies. <laughs> right. Yeah. And They'll oh, argue over who gets to talk to him first when and, he calls up. And of course, we love to see his child because she's so cute and 11 months old right now. Absolutely. And she made... Turning a year old in February. She made Kathy's kids an uncle or uncles. Yeah. Uh, so, and they wouldn't have been yet uh, for quite some time, yeah, probably. That's exciting. Anyway, friends, uh, to make one more point on this subject of living intentionally, I, I know that mid-single life, we both know that mid-single life at times is lonely. There are moments we feel hopeless. There are moments we feel like everything we really cared about has been taken from us. I get that. Uh, we both do. But I want you to remember that most of you were anointed to become kings and queens in the house of the Lord. And if you haven't been, you can be. And so uh, as you look for a new spouse and you look to rebuild your life, you're not just looking for your companion. You're looking for your king or your queen. Really process that deeply and it's going to change the way you search. I want to read one final quote here from President John Taylor, where he says, Do you feel as though some dreadful calamity has happened to you? Many of us would answer that, yes, it did. I got divorced. Or my spouse died or whatever. He says, Do you feel as though some dreadful calamity has happened to you? Have you forgot who you are? and what your object is. Have you forgot that you profess to be the saints of the Most High, clothed upon with holy priesthood? Have you forgot that you are aiming to become kings and priests to the Lord and queens and priestesses to him? Now, think about those words. Are, are those words empowering? I believe that telling you to live up to the idea that you are a king or a queen in the making, that you have been anointed and given the power to become that, is, is empowering. It helps you to understand that you have it within you to move past all of the pain and suffering of the moment and, and ultimately... Uh, find your king or queen and build a beautiful life with that person. Now, if that's not hopeful, I don't know what is. Right. <laughs> Actually, I do have another hopeful thought. And that comes from the scripture that was basically the overarching theme of the BYU Life After Divorce Conference in November of 2023. Or 2022, sorry. I, I don't know what, what, what it will be this year, but I that's what it was last year, um, a few months ago. Anyway, uh, it's from 1 Nephi 17, verse 13. And I will also be your light in the wilderness, and I will prepare the way before you. And I just want to testify that as we got make God part of our process, as we let him lead and guide us, that he'll take us to 
a life more beautiful and better than we could possibly have imagined could come out of whatever loss we've experienced. And uh, we, go oh, ahead. I was just going to say the fundamental and most important thing you can do is to choose it, to mm. choose to accept the life that he is presenting you with. Absolutely. And accepting the loss is the first step. And then the hope is coming in the acceptance of what's next. Right. What are all these doors opening to me now that one has closed? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, we sincerely hope that this episode has strengthened your faith and helped you feel supported, that you're not alone, and provided you with some practical instruction. And remember that if you if you decide to practice the FCBO model in your life, um, if you decide to go back through episodes 101 to 103 and listen to those, just to make sure you're compassionate with yourself as you become more aware of how you're creating your life. Right. And definitely give us a, give us a call or send us an email at loveinlateryears at gmail.com if you would like a free discovery call. We can help you know what your coaching options are if you'd like more personal support. We also have a great group. And uh, of course, as we've said, Jeff has that premarital coaching program. So when you are with your person, you can get assistance in working out an intentional relationship. Right. So be <clears throat> intentional and intentionally cultivate and maintain hope for a bright future full of compensatory blessings. Envision it, believe it, work for it, and it will ultimately be yours. And remember that any time is a great time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening. Please share LilyPod with those you love who could benefit from what we share here. We invite you to sign up for our Elevating Weekly Lily Letter, subscribe to LilyTube, and enjoy other life-affirming content at loveinlateryears.com. Email us to request a free 15-minute Lily Coaching Discovery Call. We are here to support you.